Welcome to Sabrina Artel's Trailer Talk. I'll bring you all kinds of stories from all kinds of people. Whether it's a live public conversation and we're speaking from the kitchen table of my 1965 Beeline Travel Trailer, from the studios or on the streets, please sit back and enjoy the conversation right here this time every week. Well, it is winter time in so many ways. So during this winter of the soul, as I think about going into this underworld and rising up again, so many are rising up, are resisting, are creatively finding ways to protect each other. So I am thinking about winter in all of its many facets and the renewal that is emerging so courageously that says yes to care, to compassion, to protecting each other, and to living in a democratic society. Winter, when I think of winter, there is a connection to extinction and to longing and to rebirth and to a hibernation and to grief and to a waiting and to a searching and to a sort of a renovation, an elongation of time, a standing still, and it's wondering and being amazed at what is going on underneath the surface and to see the wild ducks landing on the pond. And winter in the Northeast is a long period of time. And I think of shoveling and my wood-burning stove and sitting there gazing at the flames and think of old father time and... Ready? Hi! Krista Gromalski. So what do you think about winter? Did you grow up in the cold? Did you grow up in the Northeast? Yeah, I grew up in the Northeast, and that's one of the reasons why I enjoy staying in the Northeast, is to experience all seasons. And winter is one of my favorite seasons. My birthday is in winter. Uh, well, actually, it's, it's on the cusp of when winter begins. It's right before Christmas. The thing about winter that I think, I like to be outside. I like to snowshoe, cross-country ski, hike, walk the dog. Uh, be out in the elements and experience, you know, the cold and, and some of the things that sometimes people think um, we need to retreat inside during this time. But a lot of people think of winter as a time of a dormancy or when things are really sort of dead and bleak. Um, but it, I really think it's a time of rejuvenation when we're sort of interior and we're building upon, we're, we're sort of like restoring ourselves, and spring is right there about to burst. So it, it's sort of like you can misperceive it sometimes because um, the way that it looks is very bleak, but what's really happening under the surface is very um, full of possibility. And, um, you know, so spring gets all the credit, <laughs> but, but winter is what, what that comes from. Louis Torres. Lewis, any thoughts on winter? I don't really got like cold or I don't like snow, but it's Sullivan County for you. So what about shoveling? Oh, that took a real toll on my back. <laughs> I said we had about three feet. Uh, it felt like three feet. And uh, I do my own backyard and I help my mother shovel and shovel her out. I can't wait till it's over and I love the summer a whole lot. <laughs> More than cold. <laughs> You long for the sun, and you long for the spring and the summer. I wish I could move to Puerto Rico, but there's really no jobs out there or anything to really do besides the warmth. You're Puerto Rican? Yes. 
So you would hope to be able to move there? Do you have family, friends there? Yeah, I have my father, uncles, cousins, and so on and so forth. Yeah. It rains a lot, but it's all right. I'll take the rain before the snow. Thank you so much, Lewis. My name is Sharon Zoe Hecht. And I'd just like to say a few words about winter, because for me, winter is about slumber, about death, about dying, about the potential for revitalization, about my own cronism, about white, about black, about night, about the wolf moon, and how we might see tomorrow. How we might see tomorrow? In what sense? In every sense, because after winter comes spring. All right, and you mentioned cronism, so could you share a little bit about that with us? Yeah, it's, I think it's been very difficult for me to move into the passage of being a crone and not being a young woman. And in some way, I associate winter with my age rather than with my youth. You associate winter with your age. And so how has that been then for you to move into this phase then of your personhood, you know, your life? Uh, if you could share a little bit, when did that transition happen for you? I think it started um, at the end of my academic career in, in Rhode Island. I was about 50 years old, and I realized how difficult it was to no longer be a student, but to be the mentor. And I started to really look, look at myself as an older woman, especially in relationship to all the young pre- and postdoctoral students that I was working with. And it really redefined me as a woman, that I was no longer a girl, I was no longer a young woman. I'd already been a mother, and that what was left was to be a crone, and I spent a lot of time examining what that meant to me. And what does it mean to you to be an older woman? And at what age could you identify an age where that transition occurred for you? It definitely came to me and continued to grow as I was in my 50s. I would say it really started around my birthday, and, and I'm a summer baby, so around the summer of my 50th birthday, and it continued to grow. And a crone to me, different from the other passages that I've lived through, is one where I really do have the wisdom now that I wish I had when I was a girl, but I don't have the stamina. So it would be really wonderful if cronism was valued in our society in, in such a way that I could feel lifted up rather than uh, burdened with my age. Here's a poem by Mary Oliver on winter's margin. On winter's margin, see the small birds now with half-forged memories come flocking home to gardens famous for their charity. The green globes broken, vines like tangled veins hang at the entrance to the silent wood. With half a loaf, I am the prince of crumbs. By snows down, the birds amassed will sing, like children for their sire to walk abroad. But what I love is the gray, stubborn hawk who floats alone beyond the frozen vines. And what I dream of are the patient deer who stand on legs like reeds and drink that wind. They are what saves the world, who choose to grow thin to a starting point beyond this squalor. I'm Marcia Nehemiah. I would like to talk about extinction. Some scientists say we're at the brink of the sixth extinction in the history of the universe, or the Earth, I should say. And to me, this causes such a tremendous amount of grief that it's almost unbearable. Like, I feel like I want to cry right now because the treasures of, that the Earth has given us, the precious treasures of the Earth, are disappearing so fast. 
at such a, a rate that it um, is a real tragedy to me. And um, I don't know how we can stop it, but I hope that we do. Thank you. Anne Bruning. Anne, do you think at all about extinction, what is on its way out, what has already left us, about the natural world, the environment? environmental thing I would say would be global warming actually because I, I think it's um, it's getting worse and people don't realize how bad it is getting because other countries where it's been so cold like we used to get here they would get six foot of snow every winter the flowers are growing there is no snow anymore and that's in Great Britain and I just talked to my brother and he said all his plants are coming up and they got no snow. So people who say there's no global warming, there is. So what about extinction then? What impact then what's happening with the environment has on the natural world, on the animals, on the plants? Well, I would say mainly like Alaska. If it gets warmer there and all these icebergs start to melt, the polar bear is up there, it's gonna have nowhere to live. Because I, w I actually was in Alaska two years ago and watch the icebergs actually like explode and just fall into the water. Now, if they all disappear, where is the polar bears going to live? And when, as I say, we were on the cruise to Alaska and it was so beautiful, but to think maybe 20, 30 years down the road, what we've seen will all be melted. It won't be there no more. And that is sad. You know, it's a memory I will never forget what I saw, but to know that in a few years that won't be there anymore. Do you think that humanity, people, are the cause of it? Oh, definitely. Yes. Yes. Because there's a lot of factories and stuff, and everything goes into the air, out these chimneys, and and they don't realize what the, the pollution that's going into the air. And that is what's doing a lot of this damage. So how does that make you feel, then, that animals are dying out because of what's happening with the environment? I think it's very sad. It really is because there'll be nowhere for them to go and they'll just die and then they'll be extinct, there'll be no more. There'll be no more animals, no more bears. And so something like that then, you mentioned the polar bears, them going extinct and watching that now in your lifetime and having been in Alaska and seeing the icebergs melt. So how does that make you feel then? How does that impact your everyday life. Actually it makes me mad because nobody's doing anything about it because I would say nine out of ten people don't believe it's actually happening and it is happening. It's happening right in front of our eyes and we don't see it and it would be very sad for our grandchildren to grow up and never ever see any bears or anything, polar bears. You couldn't take them to show them like I've seen them. You couldn't take the kids because they won't be around anymore. How does talking about extinction in the natural world, how does that make you then feel about humanity? Actually very sad. The way the state the world's got to is very, very sad. Starlings in Winter by Mary Oliver. Chunky and noisy, but with stars in their black feathers, they spring from the telephone wire, and instantly they are acrobats in the freezing wind. And now, in the theater of air, they swing over buildings, dipping and rising. They float like one stippled star that opens, becomes for a moment fragmented, then closes again. And you watch, and you try, but you simply can't imagine how they do it, with no articulated instruction, no pause. Only the silent confirmation that they are this notable thing, this wheel of many parts, 
that can rise and spin over and over again full of gorgeous life. Ah, world, what lessons you prepare for us, even in the leafless winter, even in the ashy city. I am thinking now of grief and of getting past it. I feel my boots trying to leave the ground. I feel my heart pumping hard. I want to think again of dangerous and noble things. I want to be light and frolicsome. I want to be improbable, beautiful, and afraid of nothing, as though I had wings. Michelle, longing. Do you long for things? How does it feel too long? I long for things every day. I think life is a state of perpetual longing. What does that feel like? Is today a day when you are longing for uh, many things? Does it feel comfortable too long? Does that mean that things aren't okay right now in the present? What What is longing for you? I don't think longing, I think people think of longing as a, put a negative connotation on longing. Not necessarily so. What are some of the things that you're, you're longing for? Peace, love, and financial freedom. So what is the longing then for you? Peace, love, financial freedom, so... Peace in the world. Peace of mind, um, which I could gain through financial freedom. Um, love, a love, uh, satisfying love, long-term love, and financial freedom, not just for myself, because that seems to be the story of the whole world right now, looking for financial freedom, longing for financial freedom. Is longing then for you something that becomes overwhelming? Does it mean that you're not getting what you want? Or is it something that takes you to some sort of action? Ah, Definitely to action, if that's possible. You can't create a love, but you can go out um, and follow uh, those longing feelings of finding financial freedom. There are, yes, you can follow through on that. So how's today feeling for you then? Uh, like I need to take a lot more action. Snow can wait, I forgot my mittens Wipe my nose, get my new boots on I get a little warm in my heart when I think of winter I put my hand in my father's clothes I run off where the drifts get Sleeping beauty trips me with a frown I hear a voice, you must learn to stand up For yourself, cause I can't always be around He says, when you gonna make up your mind When you gonna love you as much 
flowers competing for the sun. Years go by and I'm here still waiting, withering where some snowman Cass Collins. I was thinking about winter. This winter has been such a beautiful winter in so many ways. Looking out at the river freezing and thawing again and watching the eagles uh, from my window. But winter has not always been like that for me. It's it's often a really hard time. I feel um, I feel like I'm really a bear in the winter. Like I 
I need to be in a cave somewhere. And uh, so it, it's nice to have a different feeling about winter. I, I don't know what it is exactly, except that I've been in the country more, and um, the windows in my home uh, just give me that light, even the, the winter light. It's, it's a white light, and um, I guess it really changes my feeling about the experience. And when I'm in the city, I get about two hours of sunlight in my apartment from two to four. But um, the rest of the time, it really does feel like a cave. <laughs> so, yeah, that's winter. Hi, Sabrina. I'm Will Conway. I live in Mongot Valley. I'm a local poet and writer and a gardener. So thoughts about extinction, animals that have already gone, animals that are on their way out, and to be living in a time when we are aware of this history, this lineage, and what's happening with our environment. I've been thinking about this subject for a very long time, since the 60s, when I realized that the last fresh air was disappearing um, out in northern New Mexico. Uh, we're missing the animals in our hearts, just as we miss ourselves losing our environment piece by piece. The acceleration of this process is overwhelming all of us. Uh, we are humbled to be in a world where we can still make a change and live lives of dignity in the midst of this uh, seemingly ongoing disaster where there's, if nothing else, sadness and tears about this subject. Um, I'm an animal lover. I've been a vegetarian for many years. It just adds to the uh, perspective on uh, sensitivity towards all life. Uh, all life is precious. I would give every animal that we see uh, as much natural wildness as we can deliver, because that's what we all need. We come from a root of wildness. That's our nature. We should respect it. I feel so many animals on the precipice, uh, elephants, uh, tigers, uh, animals that are, you know, generally these large animals. I, I have a fondness, a totem sensitivity towards cats in general, so I would say the tiger is probably the one that would be the one I'd feel the most sensitivity to. Uh, I would love to see one <laughs> up close and personal. Thank you, Will. Thank you, Sabrina. Nice opportunity. Hi, my name is Nancy Wells, and I know this is a rather odd thing about extinction, but for me, the thing that I see uh, that is leaving our planet or leaving everything has to do more or less with the politics of what are going on, which means that there's an extinction of um, trust and, and um, doing things for the planet and caring really about healthcare and caring about the things that matter as human beings. So what I see that's, that's disappearing, as a child, I really did believe that, that the government and people tried to do the best thing for the people. Now I've become uh, rather, I don't know if the word is bitter, or I just don't, I, I don't see it, and it's very sad. So why, it, it, yes, the eagles are going, and I feel terrible about that, but so are the human beings that really care about the planet, about the people themselves. Hi, I'm Sandy Long. You've written a poem about longing, and uh, it accompanies a sculpture. Uh, so if you could share with us 
this poem and uh, what it is about longing. The poem is called Longing, and this is it. You almost don't notice the dove, her plaintive, repetitive call coming toward the spell you're under, with the flowers taking most of your attention as the sun stirs something they've been storing for a moment just like this. Kissed by golden throb, you lean in to remember where it was you first heard dove and mourned to be touched there. So this poem is really, um, in the broad sense, about how life and all of the things that go on in a life can distract you from the thing that really calls you most. And you can forget that thing, and even hearing that thing or sensing that thing, you may not even notice it. But once in a while, the sound comes through, and in this case, the sound is the dove, that sort of tubular, mournful sound. And it does touch you in a way that reminds you that there is that thing that is still there and that still rings for your heart. That thing that you're referring to, Sandy, that thing that you long for, is that a comfort to long for something, or is it a distraction, or is it an annoyance, or something that could be upsetting? It's actually, for me, um, a call from the true self. It is the self that we forget in the distractions of everything else, even beautiful things like flowers and gardens. You know, even the things that, ob the, the most obvious negative things take our attention um, strongly. But then even when you're lost in a beautiful thing, you can sometimes forget that there is that true self that you are most connected to. And we forget that, I think. We get distracted. I think it is a longing to reconnect with the self. I think of going down into the underworld of Persephone and the grief of her mother, Demeter, and that time of going inside, and then that rising up and that bursting. And even when I was living in Los Angeles, and people say that there is no winter there, but there is. There is a slight shift, and there is something internal that happens. I remember that the roses do bloom there year-round, but it's better for those rose bushes if they're cut back and if they're made to stop blooming, that they take a rest so that they don't exhaust themselves. Here I am in upstate New York in the Sullivan County Catskills looking out my windows at what is a beautiful day. Ready? Hi! From the kitchen table out on the road, I'm Sabrina Artell. Thanks for joining me for Sabrina Artell's Trailer Talk. The music for the show, Patti Smith, People Have the Power, Tori Amos, Winter, from a Tori Amos collection, Tales of a Librarian. Trailer Talk is produced by Sabrina Artell. For more information, please visit trailertalk.net. Special thanks to WJFF Radio Catskill and the numerous people who have donated their time, resources, and conversations to make Trailer Talk possible. Thank you all who joined me in these conversations. I'm Sabrina Artell. Safe travels.